Yes. Three through fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Just broke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get out of here, boy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We can't go by we we can't go by fifth grade because there's thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year olds in there. <laughs> Y'all lighten up, lighten up. Don't take it personal if that's one of your kids. All right. If they get to fifteen, they're still in sixth grade. Just homeschool. My kids are homeschooled. All right, so I ain't ain't seen nothing. All right. Um, last week. Well, yeah. Last week, last week we we were in Second Peter and we started into uh, this text of scripture, which points out that uh, the desire of every believer. If you're here and you go, well, I'm a Christian, then I would ask you the question: Is there a desire in your heart to be like Jesus? We talked about this last week. How the Holy Spirit—that's <clears throat> what He does. He puts within and develops the desire within every born again believer to be like Jesus. So. You know, according to the scripture, if there's nothing in you that desires to be like Jesus, uh, but, you know, I just want to go to heaven, don't necessarily want to be like Jesus, then according to the scripture, it's possible, very likely, that you're not truly a born-again believer. You just don't want to go to hell when you die. But as a believer, uh, God's Spirit within us wants to develop the character and the nature of Christ in us uh, so that we are in His likeness, the way He created us to be to start with, that sin robbed us of. And so Second Peter goes down and it starts talking about the things that God has provided uh, for us. And then, and then on our part, starting in verse 5, are basically the supplements that we give all diligence to add to our faith. This doesn't make you a believer. It doesn't produce faith in you. Your faith in Jesus Christ, what he's done for you on Calvary's cross to die for your sin and pay the punishment for our sin to offer us forgiveness and life is what makes you a believer when you personally put your faith and trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. And then we add to our faith. And last week we just did the first one where it says add to your faith virtue, which we talked about. That word means moral excellence, uh, purity in there. There's seven different things here that Peter talks about <coughs> to add. And I do want to say this, you know, um, I, I believe everybody who, who absolutely knows the Lord obviously loves the Lord and your desires to be like Jesus but this is not just about us you know so I can be like Jesus this is obviously the world needs to see Jesus now more than ever uh I don't want to throw a buffer on the message but in the in the last four weeks this will be the fourth week I've been to a funeral a double funeral one week there and so every week now it seems like I'm either preaching a funeral I'm going to a funeral and and as we speak um my family part of my family is gathered together uh with my cousin and they're fixing to basically pull the plug on her and and she's not she's not an older lady um because of this covid mess and and i'm not into fear methods and trying to what i what i tell you that for is especially as a pastor or as a christian when when you go to funerals every week it kind of awakens you to reality to go i need to make sure that i'm preaching when people face eternity, when you face, you know, trouble in your life, that's one thing. When you face eternity, I want to know that I spoke the truth to you if you're here today because more than I'm concerned about your finances, your jobs, even your marriages, that kind of stuff, I'm concerned about where you're going to spend eternity. 
That's why Christ came to give us life so that we can know him. And so in this, our desires of church, we can't convince anybody with our words or, or our actions. It's only God's spirit developing Christ in us where the world sees the Lord and sees who he is hopefully through us. So that should be our desires. How can, how can more people come to the knowledge of the truth? Well, if they see Christ in me and they see Christ in you, that's going to be a whole lot more convincing than somebody just spouting off a bunch of words. Amen? And so in that, <clears throat> today I'm just going to go into uh, the second one. is in verse 5, Second uh, Peter chapter 1 says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge. And so knowledge is what we're going to look at. I'll ask you this. You don't got to answer. I wonder how many of you did some adding this week to purity in your life to moral excellence. When you look at last week and go, did I make some decisions? Did I give all diligence this week to add moral excellence to my life? That means that I saw some things in my life that are immoral that I want to put out of my life and I want to put purity in my heart and the way that I live uh, before God and before man. If you didn't do that, thinking what in the world are you here for? Amen. You know, if you're not going to add, all you're doing is adding you know, somebody to the crowd here. So I hope you hear something this morning. You take and apply this to your life. When this talks about knowledge, it's a Greek word that is that means more advanced knowledge. It actually means it's connected to investigating. It would be like, you know, when you're saved, you come to the, first off, you come to the knowledge of sin. We're all sinners. You come to hopefully the knowledge of the truth that Christ died for sinners, was buried and rose again, that he offers forgiveness and, and life to anybody who will turn to him and trust in him holy, his righteousness, not ours. But then after that, this is the knowledge in which you grow in the knowledge of Christ. It's not just intellectual knowledge. There's a lot of people who, <clears throat> there's a lot of people who when they're saved, you know, the next thing you know, they, they want to, they, I, I think is a, obviously you want to grow and they think that the route to it is, well, I just want to know more and more about the Bible, more and more about the Bible. And then there's those who've been saved for years and, 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 and they get into this process of, and it's good to go, don't misunderstand me, it's good to go deep and, and that kind of stuff. But, listen to me, you can study the Bible, study the Bible and get more, more and more knowledge. And if you're not careful, knowledge, knowledge just produces pride in you. If you don't put the knowledge you get into effect into your life, then knowledge, all it does is make you prideful to where you want to show everybody how biblically smart that you are and, and all that stuff. And, and all that knowledge in the world, there's people who know the Bible way better than I do who are going to die and go to hell. You know, there's there's agnostics and there's, uh, uh, what else is it, atheists who know the Bible as far as an intellectual knowledge. They can quote it. They can tell you everything about it. I've talked to these people, no way more, way beyond where I'm at intellectually, and they don't know Jesus. And so there's more to it. You know, I've had people say to me, actually, this has been a while back, had a young man come to me. He's like, you know, Brother Randall, Sunday night, I wish you would go a little bit deeper. And, and, and that way, um, you know, Sunday night's really for the, we know it's for believers. And that kind of stuff, we need the meat. We need the meat of the word. And I, and I didn't say it, but I thought it. So if you say that to me, I'll probably think this about you. Well, when you start applying the milk, we'll go to the meat. What good does it do for me to throw a T-bone steak down in front of, you know, a six-month-old baby with no teeth? And people think, well, I've heard this, and just because you've heard the Bible and you've got some intellectual knowledge, it, what good does it do if everything in your life's falling apart and you ain't doing anything with what you've been given? So this is a different kind of knowledge, and this is a knowledge to, to basically, I want to, and it's focused on Jesus, not the Bible. 
and I realize he is the word and everything in the Bible is about him, but you can do a whole lot of study in the Bible and still not know Jesus, who he is, okay? And so that's what this is talking about because here's the thing. We can't appropriate in our lives or put into effect in our lives what we don't understand. You know, most everybody here probably has a cell phone. I guarantee you the majority of the crowd can do a whole lot more with your cell phone than I can. You know why? Because I don't care. I got a cell phone to do two things. I really don't want to call nobody, but if I had to, to call somebody or text, the other thing was to take pictures of stuff that I'm hunting. That's the only two things that I need. And what amazes me, I, you know, one of the kids, especially Cody, he's just a guru. You know, he'd be like, Dad, bam, 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 and he'll show me stuff, and I'll be like, wow, that's got a flashlight on it, you know? And he had to take me through there and, and, and show me all this stuff. But here's the thing. I, we got all these little squares, and people talk to you like you know these things, you know? Well, don't you know it's got an app, and you go, just go to the app store, and this and that. And I'm like, man, I, I can't. I usually I'll pitch my phone to Cody and go, man, will you do whatever it is they're telling me? And he'll... Well, he'll do it up. And I think that that's what it's talking about. There is so much. There is so much to, to what you have available to you in Jesus that you don't live out because you don't even understand and don't know. And if people don't know, then you can't grow and you're not going to put these things and the power of them uh, into effect in your life. You don't want to know the Bible so you can demonstrate your knowledge or so that you can debate. You want to know God's Word so that you can apply it to your life through the faith that you have and see it come to life in your life. It's kind of like this with knowledge. If you would have asked me when I got married and on my wedding day, if you would have said, so how well do you know your wife? I said, I know her real well. If you was to ask me now, how well did you know your wife on your wedding day? I would have said, I didn't have a clue, and I still don't, if you want to know the truth. And, and here's the thing. When you get married, if the knowledge of your spouse stops there, you're like, I know all I need to know, you're not going to be married long. You're going to be totally confused. And there's a lot of things that change in life that you, you learn all kind of new things as you go. And so it's the same way with the Lord. Yeah, you know, he's, you know he's the Savior. Most people go, yeah, I know Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior. He died on the cross. And, and, he, and if you've accepted him, he's my Savior. And that's about as far as it goes for most people. And that's why we wonder people don't get excited. I'm not saying, y'all, it was a great worship morning, but there's a lot of people who are not moved to worship or, or moved to dig into God's Word or to apply the things God Word because they really don't know Jesus. So, so I want to focus this morning... And I'm going to give you a good bit of information, so I'm going to kind of go quickly through it. But some things that that you need to know. You know, before you get married, there's some things you need to know. But here's the thing. Even after you get married, there's a whole lot more things you need to know. That if you don't figure those things out, I'll give you, for instance, like when I was growing up, my mom, she's a clean freak, and uh, she's one of those ladies that had everything white, white carpet, white cabinets, white everything, you know, and she would, and the first thing she'd say, if you come over to her house, she'd say, oh, don't look at my house, it's so dirty. I'm like, mama, I could roll the refrigerator out and lick the floor, and I wouldn't get no dust. That's just the way she is. And and, and so in that, um, when I got married, I didn't I didn't like that, you know, when I was a kid. Especially, I always had to take my shoes off before I come to the house. If I come to your house, I probably, I would rather stand outside. If you're one of those people, I'd rather you take your shoes off before you come in. I'd be like, I'd rather stand outside, okay? That's just me. I'm not doing it to be offensive, but we got married. We built a house a little while after that, and my wife wanted to pick out white carpet. And I said, look, baby, I just want you to know that I grew up taking my shoes off every time before I come in the house. I ain't taking my shoes off, and this is a white carpet. She's like, oh, it'll be okay. You know, you should at least wipe your feet. No. 
Now, I'm not saying this is good. This is one thing I needed to know. <laughs> so I go out, you know, I'm doing my thing. I'm working or hunting. I, I read, I, many a times I read clay. I walk in the house, I get on the carpet, and she'd be like, you're getting red clay all over the carpet. Like, didn't I tell you? Now, you're starting to see some of the reasons why we had some marriage issues, all right? Didn't I tell you? And then she'd be down cleaning it up, and finally I thought, let's tear the carpet out because I'm not doing this. Now, that was hard-headed, and it was stupid on my part. But as we grew, there were some things that she needed to know and that I needed to know. And so it's the same thing in your walk with the Lord. And there's three things I wanted to point out this morning. Number one is who he is. We've got to get the proper perspective of who he is if you're going to relate to him properly. Second thing, his intentions towards me. There's a lot of people that, that misconstrue God's intentions towards us. We get a lot of our knowledge and information from Internet. We get it from Hollywood. We get it from culture. We get it from religion and this false information. And if you build upon false information, it's going to fall apart. The third thing is the putting into effect the person of Jesus. I think this is the biggest one where we miss out because we hear a lot of stuff. We get a lot of information. And we think that because we know a lot of things that we know God and we don't. You have to put personal knowledge, and that's what we refer to as that personal relationship with the Lord. So here we go. Who is he? I'm going to answer those three. I'm going to get you out of here. Number one, most people don't realize, or a lot of people don't realize, that he is the creator. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, talking about Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus has always been. He is the I am. When you, when you think of God, He's not just the Son of God. He's one of the triune, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We don't understand that. We never will until we see Him, and I don't know if we'll understand it then. But this is, He is fully God. Prior to His incarnation, when He was born, when He took on human flesh, Christ Jesus has always been. He is I am. Okay? And so in that, um, it also says Genesis one twenty six. Remember we talked about last week, God spoke and he said, let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us create man in our image. He was there when everything was done. Colossians 1.17, I'm going to read this to you. In case you're worried about the world falling apart and everything that's going on here, it says, talking about Christ, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That word consists means he is the glue of the universe. He holds everything together. He's not in heaven, you know, fretting over what's going on right now. He's like, I'm the one holding this thing together. And when I decide for it to come apart, all he's got to do is say so. And one of these days, hey, it's going to come apart. I want you to look, well, if you don't have to, I'll read it to you. In Hebrews chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the Father's by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And so Jesus, when you worship a creator, you're worshiping Jesus. He was the one who by hands molded Adam out of the dust and breathed in him the breath of life. This is his creation. And so Jesus is the one who created all things. Just looking in the Old Testament, you also have, you know, a lot of people want to look at Jesus and connect him just to the New Testament, whereas the Old Testament, so many appearances prior to his birth that you see, they're called theophanies. It means an appearance of God in the Old Testament. Think about this, Abraham. You know, number one, the Old Testament, when it refers to the angel of the Lord, most of the time it's a reference to Christ himself. 
And when he came, he came, and number one, some of the things that Jesus did in the Old Testament, remember Abraham was sitting in the door of his tent prior to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Christ came and had supper, sat down and ate. He was in the form of, the, the, of a man. Him and two angels came, and they sat down and they had supper and made promises to Abraham and Sarah. Then Jacob, you know, Jacob was the hard-headed son of uh, Isaac, and uh, God had to come and have a wrestling match with him. And you remember that that Jesus came and he wrestled with him all night. We won't go into that. I've taught you that before, but study it for yourself. But he wrestled with Jacob, and Jacob held on for the blessing. You remember, I believe it was, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce the word, P-E-N-I-U-E-L, Penuel or Penal, however you want to say that, is what he called the place because he said, I have seen God face to face. When you see Jesus, you see God face to face. You also see Joshua. Remember, prior to the battle of of going into the to the promised land, and uh, here we go, my mind just went blank. What was the first place? Jericho. Prior to the battle of Jericho, Joshua went up on the mountain. He was looking over into the promised land. He was looking at Jericho. Actually, it's on this side, but he was looking at Jericho, and all of a sudden, there appeared someone. He's dressed as a soldier, and it was Christ who appeared to him. Remember, Joshua said, "Are you for them? Are you for us?" And I'm giving you the redneck version he said you for them for us he said neither for i'm the captain of the host of the lord he's the captain of the armies of the lord and he stands for the lord and then also you see a member of shadrach meshach and abednego in the book of daniel they were three jews that that uh were thrown into the fiery furnace and then uh, nebuchadnezzar looked into the fiery furnace he said how many did you throw in there and he said we threw three he said i see four and one is as the son of god jesus was in the fire in the fiery furnace with them. That's why they came out and they didn't even smell like smoke. And then you see types of him and visions of him uh, where Isaiah, remember Isaiah had the vision and he saw the Lord on the cross and prophesied that in Isaiah 53. You also see, uh, let me read it to you, in Isaiah 9-6, because I want to point out something there. <clears throat> Isaiah 9-6, the vision and, and the prophecy of his birth. He said, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a child is, I want you to pay attention to this, given. A child, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government peace, there will be no end. And so, so all through the Old Testament, you see Jesus for who he, who he is and who he was then. And then also, Daniel saw him setting up his thrones. He referred to him as the Ancient of the Days. He saw a vision of the Ancient of the Days coming in the clouds, and he set up thrones in judgment. And so he saw Jesus there as a judge. Now, stay with me. Don't lose me. When you go to the New Testament, the New Testament was the, was the uh, account of his incarnation. You know, it talks about in Hebrews, where he refers to a, a, a uh, prophecy in Psalm where he said, You have made for me a body. Christ came as a baby. In this, just like this, Adam was man made in the image of God. Jesus was God made in the image of man. He was fully man, fully God. He came to represent us. The Bible refers to him as the last Adam. Just as Adam represented all of mankind, he sinned against God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, and Adam sinned and death come about because of sin. Okay, Adam passed down a sin nature. You were born as a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Amen. And so that was passed on by us because he was a representative of all of us. Jesus comes as the second and the last Adam. We don't need no more representatives. Because he lived a perfect sinless life. And so here's the cool thing about Jesus representing us. 
before God the Father, he lived representing you and I. When he went to the cross, the Bible teaches that he took upon our sin. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin, Randall, so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That means when God saw his son on the cross, he poured out wrath and punishment for our sin upon Jesus. Remember Jesus' last words, it is finished. That means everything that needed to be accomplished was accomplished by him. That's why you don't add to your salvation. You simply enter into it by faith. Y'all wait. <laughs> then in Hebrews 1, 3, it says he is the express image of God. One of the reasons that Jesus came is because there's so many ideas about who God is. People always got their thinking on and they always got their Facebook on and, and you know, they always want to share their great intellect about, well, this is what I think about God and this is what I think about God and I just feel God this and like, you've been on earth, what, 25 years, maybe 30, 40, we'll give you 50 years and you think you know the eternal one? You don't know nothing, and neither do I. The only thing that I know about God is when I look at Jesus, I go, He is the express image of God. If I want to know who God is, I look at the Son, and He is the express image of God because He was God in the flesh. And so in that, when you see Jesus, you've seen the face of God. Now, I want to give you this, okay? And I'm going to get to a point here in just a second. I'll just give you some information you can chase later on and give you something to study. You know a lot about people through their names and titles. You know what they do. You know what they're involved in. A lot of times you know how they live, okay? And so in that, when you when a great study for you to come to the knowledge of Christ is to study his names and titles. This is not all of them. This is just a, this is just a few that I wanted to point out <clears throat> that magnifies his character and his nature. Number one, he's the Son of God. Two, he's the Savior. Three, he's Messiah. Four, he's the Lamb of God. He's the Good Shepherd. He's the Bread of Life. He's a friend of sinners. Good one to know. He's the light of the world. He's the door of heaven. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the judge of the living and the dead, the line of the tribe of Judah, the cornerstone, the rock, the faithful witness, and in Revelation 19, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so when you look at his names, as I mean, honestly, while I was studying this this week, and I hope you get something out of it, but as I was studying this week, I thought, how many times do I, I mean, do I know him in each way? How many of us here know him as the door of heaven? You know, he refers to that in John chapter 10. He said, I'm the door. He was talking about heaven. I'm the door of the sheepfold. And, and, and think about this. Judas, Judas kissed the door of heaven and he still didn't make it. Jesus is the door. He's also the cornerstone of which I build my life on. He's the rock in which I stand. He's the faithful witness of who God is and his word. He is the resurrection of life. Religion isn't going to raise me up. The person of Jesus is going to raise me up. He is life. And so each one of these reveals something about his character and about his, his nature. Now, this is what I want to get to because I think this is where most people have a hang-up. Most people relate religion to God, which is a bad relation, and they, and they look and they see and they got their ideas and thoughts of what God's intentions are towards you. Now, I want to say this. Naturally, if you're a sinner, unsaved sinner, let me say that. All of us sin, but, but all of us are not sinners. Some of us, most of us in here, hopefully if you trusted in Jesus, you are, hold the position of a saint. Not because you're good, but because he saved you. 
And, and the problem is prior to my salvation as a sinner, I saw God in a whole different way. I saw God as a judge. I saw God as wrathful and vengeful and, and out to get me. And the problem was until I came and grow in knowledge, I'm still growing in knowledge. Until I grew in knowledge of the Lord, you know, I didn't have the peace that I have. You know, it says in Second Peter, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That means if you're a born-again believer, the more that you know of Jesus, the more that you learn of Him, the more peace and grace, grace and peace is multiplied in you. shouldn't make you feel, oh, oh, I'm just so worried about, you know, I used to be so scared of dying, scared of the day of judgment, even after I saved. But the more that I study, the more I say, Jesus, the more that I'm free to tell you the truth. And that's what he said. If you continue in my word, you'll know the truth, and, and, and the truth will set you free. The more that I know of Jesus, the more like, all right, he is so awesome. And he's come to give me so much. And so here it is intentions towards you. Matthew 18, 11, one of the names that I didn't mention was, was the Son of Man. And, and when Jesus said the Son of Man, he refers to himself, he, it is his relation to mankind. And, and he said, one of the things he said was, the Son of Man come to seek and save the lost. So what is his intentions towards you? If you're here today, say, I don't know Christ as my Savior. I've never repented and trusted him as the Lord, Savior, my life. What is his intentions for me? He just wants to take away my fun. He wants to take away my life. He wants me to, to come to church and be around a bunch of boring people and say amen. And he wants me to sing. And he, he wants me to stop this and stop that. And some people get the idea that God's intention is to take and that he always needs something for you. You know, he wants to have access to this and that. Whereas Jesus, get this, he said, I come to seek and save the lost. I come to set you free. He came to demonstrate his love for us on the cross. Romans 5 eight says what? And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love for us. If you go, how do I know that God loves me? Stand at the foot of the cross where he died for your sin. If you could see the way that he sees when you stood and looked at Jesus on the cross, you know what you would see? You would see you hanging there. You would see God pouring out wrath and hell on you, yet Jesus loved you enough to get in your place and to take that for you so that he could give you something. He came to demonstrate power at the tomb. He demonstrated that. I said, how do you know? How can you have peace? What happens? You know, Brother Rand, I've already had it, okay? <coughs> what happens if you get the COVID? You know, I'm so scared to death that if I get the COVID, I might die. You know what? We're all going to die one day, whether it's of a COVID or a car wreck or, you know, a bird falling out of the sky knocking you in the head. One of us, one day, we're all going to die. How can you How can you have peace in this? Because he's the resurrection and the life. If I could get in a plane and fly there, I could walk up and I could see an empty tomb where he laid once and he doesn't lay anymore. He demonstrated his power to raise himself up. He said, I, no man takes my life. I lay it down and I have the power to raise it up again. And if he can raise his own life, he said, you put your trust in me and I'll raise you up too. He demonstrated his glory at his, or he's going to demonstrate his glory at his return. Man, it's going to be an awesome thing when the Lord returns. It's going to be awesome for some. It's going to be horrifying for others to tell you the truth but here's the main thing because we're we're an american culture and we're coaches and we're greedy and we love stuff and we don't want nobody taking our stuff whether it's you know possessions or our rights and and a lot of people get the idea well if i if i follow jesus and i, I don't have no fun i get he don't want me to have no stuff he doesn't want me to enjoy and, and you listen to all the lies and i want to say this jesus is not a needer he doesn't need anything that you or i have to offer you understand that the Lord says, I can't even tell you where it's at, but he said, if I needed something, I wouldn't ask you. 
If everything he has here that we see and don't see, he spoke into existence. He's like, what do you, you're, you're a created being. What do you have? I made you. You don't have anything. He doesn't need me to worship. He doesn't, you know, the Lord isn't sitting around when you're not here on a Sunday going, man, you know, I really needed Travis to be there that day. He didn't need Travis to be here. There's no need at all. Here's the, here's the, here's the 411. He doesn't need you in heaven. I've said it before. Heaven will be heaven with or without us. With or without us. He'll still be God. He'll still be on the throne. There'll still be people there in ecstatic worship. He'll have the uh, millions, and, as the Bible says, millions of angels shouting his glory. One last voice. He don't need me. He doesn't need me to preach. He doesn't need me to give. Well, you know, he just want my money. He don't need your money. He's the one to put it in your pocket. Understand that. Every bit of it. Not 10%. He put all of it in your pocket. And so in that, we, we get the idea that he's a taker. But I want to bring to your attention that God is a giver. Think about this. Number one, he gave life. Two, he gave creation. He made it just for us. He gave Adam a wife. He gave them a garden to live in. He gave them a dominion and authority over everything in creation. He gave them instruction and warning. <clears throat> he gave them friendship and fellowship. Came with them in the, in the cool of the day. When they fell and they called God a liar and they chose to sin, what did he give them? He gave them justice, but he also gave them mercy. He gave them a promise of redemption in Genesis 3.15. Right after they sinned and they failed, right after that, immediately what happened? Adam didn't go searching for God. God came searching for Adam because he was going to give him a hope of redemption. He said, of the seed of a woman, talking about Jesus, that I'll crush the head of the serpent. I'm going to raise y'all up. He also gave what? He gave Noah grace. He gave Abraham and Sarah a baby. He gave Abraham and his family land. He gave Israel redemption, freedom, glory, protection, provision, direction. He gave them the law, which revealed his holiness and brings them to the place where they'll trust in him as a savior. He gave them and us also an inheritance. He gave us his word. He gave of himself. He gave his life. He gives us unconditional love. He's like, boy, he gives a lot, don't he? He gives forgiveness of sin. He gives power and position in His kingdom. He gives us, according to Ephesians chapter 1, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He gave me the promise of a resurrection. He's given us a new heaven and a new earth. What for? Because He wants to give us friendship and fellowship. You understand what God wants? He's all about you. He doesn't need you. You know, God loves you. If you're here this morning, you've got a misconstrued, a misconstrued thought of God. Because you've listened to the world, look at the message through the entire Bible. The entire Bible. You know, you know what he wants from you? Honesty. He wants your sin. He wants your misery. He wants your suffering. Isn't that what it says? In Isaiah 53, he took our burdens, our sin, all the things and the, the hurt and the sorrow and the sufferings. He said, you give that to me. I'll take that. And I'm going to give you who I am and what I've got for you. Man, if you don't think God's good, you messed up. And so in that, here's where I'm going to finish up. You come to the third thing in this personal knowledge. You know, I can read all this stuff to you, and I can give you, I, we could be here for hours giving you information. I, I sat just looking at the names of Jesus and the titles of Jesus this week, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. You could, you could take each one of those names and preach two hours on each name, something new about Jesus in those names. But here's the thing. You can go to seminary. You can go to college. You can get a doctorate degree. You can have to where you can stand and speak Hebrew and Greek, and you can impress a whole lot of people but that doesn't mean that you know personally know anything of jesus 
There's a, there's a whole lot of men standing in pool pits with degrees four miles long that doesn't know half of what some backwoods redneck who personally knows the Lord sitting out in the church pew knows of Jesus. And so when you look at this, he was a savior. Say, what good was that? Because he came to save. And he came to save you. And he came to save me. Everybody knows that knows Jesus. Like, yeah, I, I, I know he's a savior. But has he saved you? Oh, I, I know that he, he's, well, he's, he's the author of life. That means that, that he was buried. And, and, and I, I've heard this before, but I knew he died on the cross. I've heard this message a hundred times. I heard it 10,000 times before I come to the place where he was my savior. He's a shepherd who comes to guide and care. He's a God to be worshipped. He's the Lord to be served. He's the redeemer to restore. He's a friend to share. You know, I think it's funny. And I guess you could say, you can call me backwards or whatever. But I think it's funny how sometimes, you know, when you're talking to Christians and, and they ask you questions about the Lord, I mean, you know, here's where I'm at. Like, uh, I don't know, what was Thursday, Friday, whatever. Me and my wife went hunting, <coughs> hog hunting. It was in rain. And uh, anyhow, we got there. And I ain't up here to tell you hunting stories. But I just get over it. If you don't like it, you preach, all right? So anyhow, we, we go, and I ended up, and, and I was going to pray. I usually pray with whoever I'm hunting with, or I pray when I'm by myself before I go hunting. And some people go, what does God care? This is my point. And so we stopped, and, she, and I wasn't going to pray because I thought, oh, I don't want my wife to think I'm getting all churchy, so I'll just pray by myself. Well, anyhow, she stopped me and said, I want we pray for you. I was like, good idea. So I prayed, just ask the Lord, Lord, I pray you go with us as we hunt. I pray you keep us safe, and pray that you watch over my family while we're going. Pray if it's your will, bless me, and let me, let me get something. You know, that's and so anyhow, you know, 30 minutes later, we're gutting a big old nasty hog. And I was like, you know what I said after that? I was like, thank you, Jesus. Now, some people, some Christians go, oh, my gosh, you think the Lord cares about a hog? Yeah, I do. You know what I did? I, not to all of them, so if you didn't get a picture, don't get all hurt. But, but after I killed it, I sent that picture to some of my friends. You know why? I share. I share with some of my friends. Now, if you didn't get the picture, it don't mean I'm not considering you. It means you probably just didn't want to see a big nasty pig. But I sent it to some of my friends. And I go, why would you do that? How can you have a friendship if you don't share? And, and the Bible said he's a friend of sinners. It also said he's a friend of Abraham. It also said he's my friend in John chapter 15. He told his disciples, I am your friend. And I think some of us miss that personal relationship with God. You know, the Lord has actually said on me with a deer stand far more than anybody else has. And I talk to him, and he speaks to me through his word, and I give God the praise. And I told one person one time, I was like, look, I even, I even had a pastor once. He was like, hey, you got anything going on you want me to pray about? I said, man, I re-, and this was when I was a kid. I said, pray for me, I'll kill a deer. I can't kill a deer. He went, Lord, don't care if you kill a deer. Now, you want to talk about hacked. He didn't know it, neither did my mom and dad at the time, but, but that, that caused me to go, I don't need you to pray for me for nothing. You know why? If you don't care about the little things, why, why do you just care about the spiritual things? The Lord cares about everything in your life. And if you ain't taking him hunting and fishing, you ain't saying nothing. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's that or whether it's your work or whether it's simple things. Here's the thing. If you can't pray about it and you can't praise about it, why are you doing it? You need to put it out of your life. Because either God's giving it to you and you're giving him the glory or you're taking all the glory that belongs to him. And it's hot in here. He's also the teacher to teach, and he's the life giver to, li- to give. And here's the point. You can know all the titles, but if you don't appropriate them in your life, then you don't know the person. I don't think it's that the church, I don't think the church is in the place it is because of lack of information or knowledge. 
book of Daniel actually says in the last days knowledge will increase we've got access to every kind of knowledge we can have we stay on the internet we can get 300 devotionals a day listen to 4 million messages a day and still have a life that's in a wreck because if you ain't getting face to face with God then you don't know him and what do you say about that say I think everything that you can say well what we need to do read our Bible pray come to church more no I think you need to come to face to face with God you know what that's called it's called worship God doesn't do things the way, and I'm almost done. God doesn't do things the way that we do. What we do is go, we try harder. We work longer. We give more of ourselves so that we can attain. God's like, no, you can, you can read more. You can pray longer. You can, you know, fast. You can do all these things. But if you're not doing it for the right purpose and the right means, then you ain't going to get anything from it. God's way is totally backwards because grace is all about God giving. It's about what he has that he willingly and lovingly offers to me. And the way that God works, He changes you from face to face. It's His presence that changes me. If you want to be like Jesus, it's not, well, I need to go to church more. And I'm saying, I think we all need to go to church more. But if you ain't here to see Him, then you're not here for the right purpose. You know, when you think about worship, it's coming into God's presence. God transforms face to face. This is my last thing. In in the book of Matthew, Jesus, when He was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, He said, The eye is the light of the body. God uses the eye as a conduit to transform the heart. Listen to me. Very important. The eye is the light of the body. And if the eye is full of light, then the body is full of light. But if your eye is full of darkness, you're looking at darkness, then the body is full of darkness. And how great is that darkness? You tell me what molds our, our culture more than anything else. It's that 52-inch, 76-inch, 800-inch box that we watch every night. And we watch it. And if you're watching darkness, you know what's doing. It's entering into your mind, into your heart, and it's transforming you. You are becoming what you're looking at. When you look at all the junk on the Facebook and you listen to all that stuff, you know what you're doing? It is transforming you. It is molding your attitudes, your actions, your thoughts towards other people. But if my eye is full of light... When is it full of light? When I walk into His presence. And that could be all day long, every day. When I'm looking at Jesus face to face. It says, I believe, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we are changed, transformed. As we, what? Behold Him from glory to glory. Remember first, or John chapter 1? The disciples said, and we beheld Him. And we beheld Him as the glory of the Father. So what caused them to be transformed? They walked with Him and they watched Him. They looked at Him. And as I behold Jesus, as I come personally into His presence, I mean, think about this. There's something that everybody needs to come face to face with, and that's the cross. When you come, this is my last thing. I'll get you out two seconds. One, two, you're still here. All right, alive. But here's the thing. When you come face to face with the cross, you've got to deal with it. Because here you are. I have to come face to face with my sin. If you're here this morning, you never trusted in Christ as your Savior, here's where you are. According to the Bible, not according to a judgmental pastor, because I'm in the same boat. You're a sinner. You've sinned against God. So why well, I hadn't sinned as much as anybody else. Well, you know what? Go ask the inmate sitting in prison. I hadn't murdered 20 people, but I'm here, right? We all sin, and all it takes is one sin. The Bible itself says in James, if you've sinned, if you've broken one law, you're guilty of them all. God is holy. Jesus is holy. So therefore, I'm guilty, and my sin is going to require, according to the law, 
judgment and punishment. The wages of sin, my payment for, for my sin is death. Not just talking about physical death, talking about eternal death. That's what hell is, eternal death, separation from the God you rejected. And God punishes sin. But when you stand face to face at the cross, you also come face to face with an amazing love. Where I said, well, ago, Jesus said, I'll take your sin. That's what the cross was. Jesus entered into God's courtroom. Our advocate. It says, that's another title. He represented Willie Williams. If Willie would have said, and this probably wouldn't hold it. Willie could have said, you know, Lord, I am a sinner. Lord, I got a whole book here. Book, mounds of them. Jesus would have said, all right, give that to me. And he nailed it to the cross, covered it in his blood. He would have said, now you're forgiven. I've, I've, I've made a way. I've made a way that your sins are washed. They're gone, nailed to the cross. It says that Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, he nailed them to the cross. Every person here, your sins are nailed to the cross. But here's the catch. Just because you know that doesn't mean that you have that. Because there had to come a day in his life where he humbled himself at the cross to go, I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. I need you to give me life because I can't produce anything. And at that moment, when you turn your heart to Jesus as Lord and Savior, according to the promise, and he is the promise keeper, he said, all who come unto me and no wise I will cast you out, I will give you forgiveness, I will grant you life and grace, and I will be with you from then on. If you've never done that, I don't care how many churches you come to, how many times you've been baptized, or what you know, You don't know Him, and you need Him. And He loves you. That's the point. And I ain't trying to get you down in the front of the church or to shake no hands, no aisle. I'd rather you meet with the Lord right where you're at because He's dealing with your heart right now, right where you're at. You don't need no preacher telling you nothing. What you need to do is turn to Jesus to receive. You ain't bringing nothing to Him but your sin. And He's willing to take that. And you can walk away free, forgiven, alive, new, whole, holy, pardoned. Man, why would you leave today and not receive that come to person with Jesus? If you're here this morning, you're a child of God. Man, the greatest Bible study you'll ever study is who is Jesus and what is his intentions towards me? Because that right there don't even scratch the surface. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for your word and for the truth of it and what it teaches us, Lord, what you what you did to reveal your great love for us, God, all the things that you give us, that you offer us, Lord. So many of us have an account full that we hadn't even withdrawn from. God, I just pray as your people we'd realize who you are, what you mean to us, God. We're coming to your presence every day for friendship and for fellowship. God, I thank you that you're in our lives and you're working, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to just mold us into your likeness for a world that needs to see who you really are.